A word of note before this episode. At the time of its recording, there was snow present on the ground. There is protocol that some stories can only be told during the winter months. Out of respect for this protocol, we have edited out the name of these stories and replaced it with the sound of footsteps walking through the snow. Thanks and enjoy our conversation. Nyagan Iskwayak. We are back for another episode. I am Kayla and I'm here with my fellow podcast host and we are actually live on location once again. We got out of our studio. (laughs) My house. (laughs) Sheila's basement. (laughs) And we are actually in the lovely home of a very interesting individual who I went to school with and yeah we'll let them introduce themselves. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that compliment. You're welcome. Well, welcome, everyone, to our nation. This is the Neaskwiak Cree Nation. It literally means by the willows. And what they're describing is a house down by the power grounds where there's a willow patch because that's where the first INAC chief, one of our recognized INAC chiefs, lived. And so when we called the band, where's this band, you know, from? Like we just, you know, the chief lives over here. And that's kind of what we're saying. But the official title is Ermanskin. So we named after the chief. So welcome to Ermanskin. Yeah. Yeah. This is a pleasant prairie. My my grandpa was contacted by a surveyor back in the 50s about what they call that road or what they call this place. And he was like, mm, I think he said Mio Pasquak. And he said, like, you know, this is a pleasant prairie. You know, mm-hmm. so they named this road the county road, Pleasant Prairie Road. Back in the day, the, the 80s, they used to have a sign there. You know, we've been living here for well, in this territory forever, but yeah, you know, in this particular part of the of this nation for since the 50s. So, this house was built in what 1978. So, we, we keep her going. Hopefully, we get a new roof. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're getting the roof, you know. Not quite sure where the squirrels are coming in either, but yeah. that's like another thing that we got to deal with. I'm so glad we don't have squirrels around here or raccoons. Oh yeah. Holy crap, that would freak me out. Yeah, no, we got a squirrel problem. So yeah. Oh, my name is. So I'm Josh Little Child. Uh, my dad is Marvin Little Child. My mom's Patricia uh, Goodwill. My dad's dad was Victor and Alice, and my mom's. Parents were uh, John uh, and uh, Stella uh, Goodwill. They, uh, that's where I come from. Welcome here. Oh, that's my intro. <laughs> oh, you want to know my traditional name? Yeah. yeah. My traditional name is Tatanka Wakami Chasha. So that means a uh, holy white buffalo boy or man, I guess. I was given that name in this living room back in 85 when I was about two or three. We had a holy man, uh, or like a a man from South Dakota come up with his drum group and they recorded a a drum album in this living room. I remember getting kicked out (laughs) because I wanted to listen, but they, uh, yeah, they they recorded it and then I got a a name from uh, Gary Holybull and a song. Okay. And they gave me a pipe and a stick. This living room's seen a lot of things, hey? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, well, yeah, we recorded a couple albums in here. Like, let's uh, (laughs) let's go again. (laughs) History is made here. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, and for welcoming us to Warm Lake. We're super excited to come out here and actually like get to be out here in mm-hmm. this community because it's always nice going to communities and not just being stuck in the city or you know, in the university. Oh, in yeah. the university, yeah. That's uh, you know, every time we visit the city, I just like. I like it for about three or four hours, and I'm like, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just yeah. so much, so much stimulation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that whole time, like, driving home, you're just like, oh, passing by all the points that you know on your way home, and you're just ready to get there. I drive into the driveway of our place, and I'm just home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everything from the day is just gone, like, yeah. in the driveway. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds so nice. <laughs> when I come home, it's, like, just chaos. I mean, it can be chaos depending on what's <laughs> happening that day, but usually by the time I hit the driveway, because it takes me an hour to drive home from work, by the time I hit the driveway, I'm like, okay, well, the work Chill. day is gone, and yeah. I've been listening to the radio for an hour, doing that kind of stuff, so yeah. letting it go. As you know, Josh, we talked a little bit about this once before we started recording, but we are doing a podcast about writing, editing, and publishing Indigenous stories, so I guess we can start out pretty broadly, and... See if you have any experience with stories and storytelling. Yeah, my father is a storyteller. He tells a lot of stories. And it was funny, we were just talking about a story mm-hmm. about parenting. This morning at breakfast, my father asked me to tell that story to my nieces that were there. And it, it, it's more, like for me, it's, it's, it's a parenting story, but it, it's a matriarchal kind of story that really fulfills the matriarchal, like the, the woman role. Which is a sacred role. And I feel like I was almost out of place for telling the story. But it has some duality in it for both male and female parents. And the story goes... And I'll share it with you. And and like a lot of older elders around here that speak Cree, that are ESL Cree. You know, English is their second language and they're born Cree. They'll they'll be able to... They'll pick the... Oh yeah, that story. Uh, (laughs) The story story goes... uh, (laughs) So this one woman... And it's a famous story. Everyone knows this story. It's about a parent, be, be he a man or a woman or both. They, they were raising their child and they were constantly spoiling their child. So when the, the child would get in trouble, the parents would intervene and fight for their kid. Even if their kid was in the wrong, they would constantly fight for their children. In Cree uh, parenting, like the way you raise people, or Cree, the, the adage from the elders is usually, you know, you're never supposed to fight for your kids. Don't fight your kids, fight. You let your children grow and experience these things. You know, um, you can only do certain things up to a point. You know, they have to learn on their own, right? Sometimes these experiences. But it's never good when you don't allow these children of yours to experience these things. And, and you don't allow them to make mistakes and stuff. So they started a story, you know, these parents are are really not letting these this child come come into the world and, and experience these things because they're always intervening. And they spoiled the kid. They spoiled the kid rotten. The kid didn't listen. The kid thought he knew it all. He didn't want to hear any of the stories or any of the songs with, with, from their community. And, and one day that child died. And uh, the parents were very sad because they, they, couldn't sa- they couldn't save their kid from death. And at the funeral, the hand of the child comes out of the grave and it comes up out of the dirt. And the parents had a choice. Either they let their kid die and follow natural law, or spoil the kid and pull him out and let him live. What did they choose? Well, how about I leave it open-ended? I'll leave it open-ended, okay? So you could kind of really think about that, and you know, more or less, what would you choose? What is the right thing to do? Well, I just flashbacked 
Pet Cemetery, and I'm like, Yeah, we watch Pet Cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 Yes, that's that's one that's I, I kind of leave it as a cliffhanger because you know, well, what is the right thing to do, right? If yeah. you spoil your kid all the time, would it be right to pull the kid out, or is it do you let natural law take place and let the kid go yeah. internment? Well, yeah, you know, those are some of the stories that are on here, and you know they have different meanings and they they sound differently when they're explained in Cree, and I'm sure same thing with Michif uh, stories like that, you know. They're, they would be, they have different meaning when you hear them in your language. Eh? Mm-hmm. I liked the dark turn though. Like, I don't know why that fed my soul in a weird way. You know, and <laughs> well, that's what I love about our culture is that the good and the bad coexist at the same time. You yeah. can't, you mm-hmm. have to use the bad to explain the good, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and you can't get rid of one. You can't get rid of the other. They both coexist and it's just a matter of balance at that point. Yeah, exactly. So we're sitting in the room, surrounded by pictures of, I'm assuming, your children, hey? Mm-hmm. How has this story affected your kids? Have you told it to them yet? Uh, the story, these ones, you know, I haven't told them of the story yet. I'm just trying to let them live life and mm-hmm. not let them uh, fall out of their own consequences of their actions. You know, I try to do that as, as I let them experience it as much as they can because... Mm-hmm. My my job as a parent, unlike a, a fur parent, <laughs> is, is not is not to confine the child and strip it of all of its uh, resources. So I become the sole uh, uh, dependent. It's solely dependent on me for for it to live. Yeah. My job is to have these kids ready to be prepped to go out in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, leave. <laughs> and so I'm trying to build them enough skills to cope with that. So. One day, when, when they're ready to hear it, I'll tell them the story. Mm-hmm. And maybe it'll resonate with them. You know, we talk a lot about... And uh, I shouldn't even... Well, there's snow on the ground, so I can say it. Yeah. Uh, so we can talk about... You know, in, in, in the Sioux way, too, uh, there's uh, Okdomi, you know, stories like that. Nana Bijou, actually. This is a... The first Sundance year I, I Sundanced with, uh, with uh, the Sioux and Alexis. Okay. That was uh, the sacred uh, tree there. Yeah. We were allowed to take pictures because the pipes weren't out. Okay. Sioux, the Sioux have a very different approach to, to uh, Sundancing. It's, I find it's not as esoteric as the Crees. They, they're very open and they want people to come of yeah. all cultures to mm-hmm. experience it because their way is the right way. Yeah, I was just going to ask, how did you get this picture? But, yeah. okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, very, it's a different approach. Not, it's not better than the other. It's just a different yeah. way of seeing it. So, yeah, we, we share a lot of things with them. I think Grant's been using the crap out of that picture yeah, in his I've research. Yeah, I've seen that photo of you and your son with the powwow. <laughs> yeah. Like, everywhere. Because it's such a great photo, too. Yeah. It's sweet. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I had a couple of professors at his, at his party tell me, like, oh, yeah, we've used that photo tons. I, yeah. I recognize you from the photo. I'm like, what? What photo? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, we might post a photo if we're allowed to. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, cool. Cool. we'll probably take one later. Yeah. Maybe with the check-ins. Yeah, do it. <laughs> Watch out for that rooster, though. He's vicious. Troublemaker. Yeah. Dory, I'll charm him. Yeah, do it. But I think, like, so... Sometimes stories come at different times, but there definitely are like stories that you are sharing with your kids now. Yeah. Probably about like, because we can see, like, 
Oh, sorry. The photos of like powwow dancing and like your son's hunting now. So I think there are probably definitely some stories that come just at certain ages of like a child's life mm -hmm. and that they need to learn at certain points. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I think, you know, the biggest one I, my dad's good at is the pubescent stories. The, that's a really big milestone. And I'm a firm believer a culture is really lost when they lose their coming of age uh, ceremonies mm -hmm. uh, for men and women. Mm -hmm. And coming of age ceremonies out here are still very uh, well practiced, uh, especially for the ladies. Mm -hmm. uh, for the men, you know, the, pre uh, the pubescent stuff, uh, uh, puberty is, 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 is it's a big one that we, we gotta still maintain. And, you know, there's a lot of stories behind that too, you know, the, that, that has to be talked about, sexuality, you know, it really affects the social circle of, of a family and other families too, when you, when you start, when, when kids are going in, into that and that's when the kinship really starts, you know, kicking in and mm -hmm. you, you start learning about, you know, the, your family stories and how you're all related and mm -hmm. how that will cope to win is like, you know, well, I guess all your kinship, I guess, you know, is, is, is brought in to the picture for that individual. Yeah. And those stories of your ancestors and how you got here. Actually, I had my, my, my first cousin bring her husband, who's from Onion Lake, tell, tell me a story about... I know how I'm related to him now, but we both have relations that, at the um, Frog Lake Massacre. You know, he had an oral story about what, of the account of what happened, and he was talking about... Uh, you know, when it was actually about, uh, it was more about women. Men were messing around with women more, and food, the food was just a factor of it yeah. that they were distributing in the chicken dance society, I guess, in that tribe. When the chicken, I think it was the chicken society, they, th when you mess with one chicken society member, you picked a whole fight with every member of that society. So <laughs> when, it, when, when they were doing that conflict between the, the woman, the wife, the food was a part of it, but... They basically threw down that ultimatum and killed that, uh, killed those men. Captured. And then there's more stories, you know, about the women, you know, that they captured. And, you know, my dad has those stories too. Uh, and I was even told those stories when I was like in high school. I remember those stories. He would phone me and tell me those stories or I'd sit down with him when he picked me up from the airplane because I was going to boarding school that, uh, at that time. And there was a lot of, there was not a lot of First Nations culture, anything at that school. So he would, you know, make sure I would uh, read books about where we come from and, and maintain the stronghold of my identity while I was there. It was pretty good. And it's through a lot of stories like books or over the phone or just going on drives and listening. Even today, today it's more or less talking about how we're related. These stories, every relation, every relative I have, there's usually a story associated with them. So it's it's important to talk about that when you're when you're talking about kinship. You know, there's stories, and you remember those stories. You actually remember those actions because you're you're thinking about the person, but then you're putting them into an action or an adventure, right? And be like, oh yeah, that's how you're related, like everyone does. Mm -hmm. It's important, uh, yeah, especially in Cree. One thing I think of is is you know you don't address anybody by their name, first name. You know, you just go straight to, straight their title, how you're related to them. Mm -hmm. That's that's a big one. So storytelling, it's it's everywhere. You know, everyone has a story. And my niece just asked me about research this morning, and I I gave him a story. <laughs> yeah, I gave him a story about what we talked about being spoiled. But I really had to give it to them because I told them, you know, when you're going out asking for you know knowledge, you know, as an indigenous researcher, give people tobacco every time you. Because they're going to ask you where you're coming from. And you're representing our people. You're representing our tribe. You know, you have to conduct yourself in a sacred and holy manner. When you walk, when you talk, 
when you think. And uh, when even when you're taking in this research, treat it like it's sacred and holy. And what, it, what does it mean to you? Because some people are going to lay some really heavy stuff on you. And then what are you going to do with it? It, it made me really happy. They're like, well, we're going to give it back to the people. And I was like, yes. That's a way. I, I, I was like, I don't have to tell them that. <laughs> These kids know what to do. The, kid, the, the kids are all right. The kids yeah, are all right. The kids are all right. <laughs> I mean, that, that seems to be a constant theme. Like protocol and stories and traditional knowledge. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the different types of protocol outside of tobacco. And like you said, the snow on the ground has to be there for Wasaki Jack stories. You can't take photos at a Sundance. You know, those types of things that I'm just picking up that they're really important that I think that everyone needs to know when they're dealing with Indigenous storytelling. I call it, uh, I call it cultural red tape. There's things you do and there's things you don't and I was explaining this to my nieces this morning. When we conduct research, you know, in my line of work, many a times we have to go speak with elders. Many a times we have to go speak with nation members and you know, they're not necessarily elders, but when we do so, no matter how, how they came to be a part of a com- this community or how they, uh, where their stance is in the community, whether if you're a classist, like where they where they sit in the class scheme, everyone here is is treated with the same respect because you, it reflects on your yourself. So when we go out and give protocol like tobacco, say to an elder to go listen to their stories about the topic, it's kind of those thing one of those things where you gotta sit down and be ready to stay there the whole day. Because you don't know if you're going to sit and talk briefly about the subject and be like, okay, see you later, you know, after five minutes. Or you're going to sit down with like three pots of tea, you know, round after round and just listen and just listen and just listen. Because these stories, I think elders have to trificate huge stories to extract like very poignant stuff because you need to understand the whole, the whole thing to understand where you are. And I ran into that once. I was asked to speak at the Canada Humane National, the Canadian National Humane Conference on our dog program. So I went to go see a, a an elder, and I literally just said, "Well, I want to talk about uh, humility, like just treating animals in a humane way." I sat there for like four hours with him, and I learned about the creation story. I learned about you know, the dog's role in the creation of the universe in the Cree perspective. I learned about Wakotuin, the true meaning of Wakotuin. I learned about this meticulous count, you know, that, that we have when the universe is created. I learned about why we need to identify as Cree people, uh, the spirit in everything, like everything. And we need to identify our relationship with that. And in that is humility. And that humanity, that, that acting humane, that's that's when you identify that. So it goes way more than treating a dog nice. Mm-hmm. It's a way you conduct yourself entirely. And so I was like, oh my God, how am I going to explain this to a bunch of people? <laughs> you know, and, I, and I got like 30 minutes to do this. Yeah. You know, and, you know, storytelling really gives you perspective, you know, in our research about our, our ideology or our cosmology or philosophies, you know, whatever you're trying to pull out and, and put it in, you know, in my case, it's a lot of law. I have a wonderful manager that, that has a beautiful philosophy on developing law. And uh, we, we try to research with the elders first 
to talk about what what Cree practices and Cree customs are and how does that reflect in, in common law, like modern indigenous binary jurisprudence law? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Rather than just having a corporate law and just throwing it in there, we need grassroots people telling us about what are, what are, what's in convention and what's in practice and, and how we pull that out. So a lot of it has to do with researching with elders. And one time I asked an elder, oh, I've, when I started working here, I forgot I asked an elder to meet with him and come to an event over the phone and he proceeded to give me crap for about 20 minutes about why I have to do it in person. It was very stern, very stern and long, long winded. And uh, man, did I feel like I put my tail between my legs that day Mm -hmm. (laughs) about why you need to come see people in person uh, acquiring knowledge because it's that connection and it, it, it's giving them the respect and the honor because they're transferring you knowledge right rather than doing it over the phone and boy he gave it to me and i'll, I'll never forget that <laughs> i'll never forget that because I, I just slipped up right yeah. i just i, I thought i i kind of i could have organized it with just a just a phone call but yeah so it, for us it, it you know learning stories it's important because they hold a lot of our sacred knowledge yeah. and they hold a lot of our our language there's the kids they want to join in <laughs> yeah they want to join in yeah, yeah they want to join yeah. in yeah, yeah well here they come perfect i love kids yeah tanya <laughs> we the muscle and the mom hey hi. you guys want to come say hi yeah hey car come shake hands introduce yourself No, we no. were just in the middle of it. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, okay. So I have a question about storytelling. So we talked a lot kind of about like the importance of being together and having stories told to us in person and when you're in the present and kind of in the context and you can get that additional information from elders and like community members. But, and I know because I saw you reading books, which are traditional stories written down and traditional knowledge that's written in books. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that? Because I remember when we were in our undergraduate, you were reading stories of the Sweetgrass Cree. Mm-hmm. But do you think that you kind of lose that context and like human aspect when you actually read it or that the books don't come across the same? I, wow, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, there's, I could answer that in two parts. Okay. So the first one will be more personal and the second part will be like what I think some of the Sioux elders I've seen do okay so when I was a child when we were on the power trail my mom would tell me stories Octomi stories they're like stories but she wouldn't tell me those stories using those names she would use those names she would say Aunt Tilly Aunt Tilly Tilly. (laughs) so it would be all those stories under the pseudonym Aunt Tilly why? Because we're respecting the protocol about the uh, winter stories. So we'd get away when we when we changed the name. Uh, that's that cultural red tape I was talking about. <laughs> cultural red tape. Yeah. So uh, when I when I picked up that book, the story, the Sweetgrass Cree, for me personally, I was like, holy shit! All these stories are what my mom used to tell me in the camper when we were at Powell's when I was like six, seven, eight, nine. I've heard these stories before, and so when I went to go tell my mom, I was like, oh my god. They were like, yeah, some of them. Then there was a lot of them I haven't seen, but some of them were very distinct. And I was like, yep, I've heard this story before. It is a very familiar place in my mind. 
you know, for me, learning them uh, and listening to them and talking about those stories, it's very good, I think, that they're written down because it ensures that they're, they're kept. So this, is, this will come to my second part of the answer. My favorite, one of my favorite books to read, and, and I bought the audiobook uh, last year when we were traveling across Canada to Ontario, where we drove, and we listened to uh, Black Alex Speaks. You know, I, I learned that, like, like when we were talking about the, the Sundance, the photo there, like different cultures have different approaches to things. And the more and more I got acquainted with my mom's side, the Sioux side, the more and more I started understanding the big differences between Cree and Sioux culture. Uh, I saw the commonalities, but I also understood the differences. And that's when I, that, and I'm allowed to speak, because I live in both. I think the, the Crees are very esoteric. You know, you have to, the knowledge for the Crees is not really easily obtained. But when you, you could go and go look in the library and find out all you need to know about a Sioux Sundance. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and what I think the Sioux were understanding at one point was through colonialization and, and contact zones and, and their time with, uh, I guess, with Indian sympathizers, for lack of a better term. They understood that the world was changing and their stories might not be told. And they saw that people were capturing stories and keeping them forever. So they saw it as an ideal way to hold them, is to write them down. And that's just a bit of the, you know, that's a bit, just a bit of the story. Because, you know, First Nations people, in, in, I think, are, are generalists. We're not really specialists. We know a little bit about everything. We don't know at all. But that talks about the communal aspect of us. We know a little bit of everything, but when we get together, man, our knowledge base is strong. You put us all in a room, our opinions are, are deadly. I've seen it. I've witnessed it with my own eyes. When we say, like there's the, that adage, oh, I know a little bit about that. It's because when you get all these elders together, all the people together to talk about a certain subject, it's crazy how much uh, communal intellect and, and communal knowledge of the subject uh, is, is put out there. It's insane. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, that, that part of the, the storytelling, everyone knows a little bit of the story. When they come together, they bring in their own experiences. And the way, when you write them down, you know, you have the, the story there, but, you know, that's just a part of the story. There's many more stories to that. Right. And, and having those people there that, that don't have the written parts, that's, that's important too. So for me, I like it. You know, that's the suicide of me, you know, saying, yeah, you know, our way is the right way to live and everyone should know all about it. And, mm -hmm. you know, and if they like it, it's because it's the right way to live. <laughs> I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean? But, then, but then, then, yeah. then there's like the orality part where like, you know, it's good to respect people with a, the with a protocol, but it's for Cree people only, or it's for this particular culture only, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, it's good that it's a very exclusive club. Yeah. But does it mean it's right for everyone, you know? Yeah. So exactly. I like that Sioux approach where it's like, yeah, this is right for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> just, just learn it. <laughs> Do you know of any community members from, like, your community out here in Urban Skin that have written down, like, stories? Mm -hmm. or, yeah, and how was that received by the rest yeah. of the community? Do they regret it? I couldn't speak on their behalf, no, I guess that's true. but I have written their, their, I have, I mean, I have read their writings. Mm. Um, 
they're scribes and uh you know they they write good things i mean they're not printing gossip no yeah i mean yeah 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 like oh this story about you know like yeah Uncle Joe. Yeah, who's, <laughs> who, who spoiled his kids too much. <laughs> Pet cemetery yeah, yeah. Like, just FYI. <laughs> yeah. So these guys, like, I know, like, we're really lucky to be here because we have my dad who's an elder. We have one elder here. A former, well, he passed away last year. He was he, a big knowledge keeper. And then another two knowledge keepers down here within you know a country mile and um you know growing up here i just go to their houses and learn <laughs> and go ask mm-hmm. bring protocol you know i remember i remember i was like connor's age i was like 11 or no i was a little older i was like 11 or 12 and i remember my uncle telling me about residential school and like how crazy it was because we got out of the sweat lodge and he went out first and i went out after him and i noticed this big scar on his back and I was like, what happened there? And he was like, oh, I was running away from school. And I was like, man, I want to run away from school too. <laughs> <laughs> but like his, his context yeah. was totally different. Yeah. You know? right. I was like, yeah, I feel you. You're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being a 12-year-old impressionable boy, you know, here this old elder is like, yeah, I hate school. It's like, you too, school's out. <laughs> the image of my like uh, they should have played Alice Cooper in schools. Yeah, like, you know, we're yes. crawling out of that sun, <laughs> the, the sweat lodge. You know. <laughs> uh, but you, you know, but then he started telling me like he was like they did awful things. They allowed us, they, you know, they made us hate our language and our culture. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah. what? What does that mean? And I totally didn't know what it meant, but yeah. I understood it happened. But to him, you know. Mm-hmm. And then my dad would tell me stories, you know, crazy stories. And then Willie, just down the road, Willie, the little child, like. You know, crazy stories about what happened to them as kids and these elders here like they all have crazy stories about the, their experiences which were culminated and put together in the TRC uh, recommendations and, yeah. and the final report I think it's important to write, write it down we have Richard Lightning who wrote in a book about the teepees late Wayne Roan who wrote about natural law in a publication in a very like gray literature publication yeah. uh, with Wilton Littlechild uh, Dr. Willie Littlechild that I, that I somehow in his own archive I picked up and copied and you know read about what natural law means to Cree yeah. you know that's really hard to get your hands on and, you know learning our research uh, techniques and his own library uh, archive in his office you know I was, I was able to just check everything out and, yeah. and that was one of the most interesting things I've ever seen do you, ever, do you ever think like yourself or your dad would ever write down your family stories they do they do okay. yeah my dad does um, he writes down for like the last I don't know 15 years he's been writing he procures copies recordings photography the only thing I haven't seen him have is like a map Okay. Um, oh, interesting. But back when I was a kid, we were no. When I was studying, well, I was. I guess I was a kid. I was like twenty five, twenty six. Um, I was studying. Um, I, I had to take. And here's a story from an elder here. He was a Suse, Mister Suse, one of my one of my grandpa. He was telling a story about here about mermaids. And it was, uh, 
And I can share that with you, I guess. The story goes, uh, there's this chief, and it's it's like the story I told you before about Pet Cemetery. <laughs> uh, so you're going to leave us hanging again? So, well, I'll, this one might be a little more rounded. Uh, has all the major elements that we, we, we need in this uh, storytelling era. We, uh, the story goes, uh, this chief, um, of this, this prominent chief, um, had a son who, you know, it's about a teenager, and he was a very defiant teenager. They, they did teenager things. And in the summer, what the, what the warriors did, the young warriors, the teenage warriors, they do is they just ride their horses around and play games. And one particular game they had was, uh, it was like chicken, like who could ride their horses closest to the edge of the cliff. So these three boys, these three warriors were riding and seeing who would get close. But that chief's son was like, shit, I, you know, I got the fastest horse here. I got, you know, I look good. I smell good. My hair's great. I could do this. <laughs> and so he, uh, he ended up running, trotting really quickly. Just like this little uh, ottoman here. He got real close to the edge. Boom, he stopped. And his friend was like, well, I could beat you. You're easy to beat. Boom. His friend came, barreling down, and, you know, got real close to the edge. And the rocks kind of kicked off. But his horse, was, his horse made it farther. Then his the third friend was like, I could go even further. And he went. And holy smokes, his, he made it to the end. And then his horse's hoofs kind of went over. That chief's son was like, I can't, I can't lose. You know, I'm the chief's son. I have to be the best. So he came and he was riding. And he flew over the edge. And he died. And so his two friends are like, oh shit. What the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> so they started riding back to the camp. Riding real fast. And we got to tell his dad. They went to his dad. And he said, look, your son's dead. He fell off the cliff while we were playing the, you know, closest to the edge game. His dad was stunned. Dad was sad. Said, well, take me to him. I want to see him. I don't believe that he was dead. So they all got ready. They rode out. They went to the cliff and he wasn't there. They were astonished. They said, well, what happened? They went looking around. Couldn't find it. They said, well, we better go back and talk to the elders. You know, get back into the camp and start talking. <laughs> they said, well, how, how did his body go missing? And the elders said, well, you know, you know, someone, something must have took him. And if you didn't see any entrails or blood, you know, probably wasn't an animal either. Some, some spiritual people must have took him. So this one elder, this old, old man, this old medicine man piped up and he says, I've seen this. He said, it's the people of the water. There's a people that live in the water. There's a tribe in there, a whole different world that we don't know. And uh, right now I'm just thinking of a Little Mermaid theme song. <laughs> and, uh, and so they're like, he's like, man, this is, this is it. And the old man was so, the, the father was so sad. He said, uh, well, I'm real sad. I, I just can't let him go. Because in the Cree way, you know, when you mourn, you take down all their pictures uh, and, and you don't, you try not to think about them for four years. And, and then after the fourth year, you let him go. And he was really tight with his son and he didn't want just like the story I was telling you before, you just get a little bit spoiled, eh? Mm -hmm. Going towards that spoiled story. And this is how Cree works. You know, you got to understand one story to understand another. Because mm -hmm. they all compound. And that's how our language works, too. You understand a little bit of word and it compounds. There's always words behind the stories that make compound words. So anyways, back to the story. That, that medicine man said, okay, wow, I know this ceremony. You know, I know that will help you see him one last time but after that you gotta let him go he said okay so they get down to the lake 
by their camp and they start doing the ceremony and start praying singing these songs and boom before you know it his son appears and that chief is looking at him and he looks different his son he's you know dressed differently he's much it's looked like he's matured you know he doesn't look as rambunctious like a like a like a typical teenager you know boy full of hormones and mm-hmm. you know there's only a few things going around in that head he looks very you know a little more developed and uh He's looking at his son and he's weeping. He's telling his son, come back. He said, like, I don't want you to die. I want you to come back. And his father, it, that's what his father's pleading. And his son says, no, you know, he says, I have, I have a family here now. I have a purpose. I, I'm, I'm fulfilling the calling that I'm doing with this tribe here in this world. You don't need to worry about me because, you know, I'm honoring you by, by living out these, these, these uh, obligations that, I, that I'm doing with this world. And so they both, uh, they both hugged. They said goodbye. And that's the end of the story. Mm, I like it. Yeah. 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 So I, that's from one of our elders here, um, yeah. late Susay, my one of my my grandfathers, and I had to translate that story from Cree, and they they, they captured it in, in an old VHS tape mm-hmm. at our co- cultural college here, right. and he was explaining that story, mm-hmm. and so I was listening to it, and I was like. And so sometimes when I talk to elders around here, they're like, oh, yeah, I heard that story. You know, I know which one you're talking about. You know, it's kind of cool because, like, you know, you heard it. And this story was recorded in, like, 86. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that's that's pretty old. That's pretty old. So, you know, those stories, you know, have a lot of meaning. Those two, I I guess I shared, you know, have a lot lot to do with parenting, you know. Yeah. They talk about, you know as a parent and if I told it to a child I'm sure the child would have a different uh, a different perspective, different perspective yeah. and take it from it and that, yeah. that's what I like about the stories just make sure there's snow yeah make sure there's snow
monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're okay. So those winter stories, they have all that meaning, and like they're, it's almost like fruit that keeps on giving. You know, you keep on telling the story and you hear it again and you're like, holy smokes, that's what it means. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, now I get it. Or, oh, it meant this to me when I was a kid. It was more of a cautionary tale, but now today it's like more of a, a love story or something, you know, it, yeah. it just changes. So yeah. Yeah. you keep those stories alive and they have different meanings because they, they contain laws, they contain lessons, morals, you know, identity ideology and philosophy and cosmology that it's all contained in there and especially yeah. when they're told in, in indigenous languages mm-hmm. that's what that's what they really contain it's it's very important to keep those stories either written on video or told orally i think procuring those those stories whatever medium or if it's in person I think you should offer protocol in some capacity, you know, tobacco to to whoever was considerate enough to leave those stories for people to hear and just hold those stories, you know, closely to to yourself. I I hope that answers all your questions. For sure. I think it's a good perspective on it. We need to have a good balance. Well, because like this morning I was giving my nieces heck. I was like, if you're going to go, you know, ask people about treaty, you know, you better make sure you have a lot of protocol because... You start talking about who your uncle is or your grandpas or your moms, and, you know, your grandma. Like, yeah, make sure you're getting, treating them, everyone with respect, you know. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's almost like the mafia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the mafia. It means the elder mafia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're going to yeah. do some knowledge uh, procurement, you better make sure it's okay with all the big shots. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. For sure. This is totally my jam. Well, a lot of our family stories have to do with death in some way. Mm-hmm. Or like you said, learning a lesson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But our stories, they're more like ghost stories almost, you know? And they're kind of categorized as like supernatural, which I hate that word because it just, mm-hmm. I don't know, it irks me in a way because mm-hmm. I don't think that that's what the stories are about. Do you know what I mean? It's, so it's, it's very just, spiritual. Exactly. Yeah, so a lot of the stories that you told us has to do with natural law and death. And I think that's really beautiful, but I think death is so, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. well, it's a part of life, right? And living out here, especially with older people, like my dad was like 50 when he had me. I remember as a kid, I went to a lot of wakes every time we'd go to wakes. Just understanding that, you know, it, it's a cycle and there's stories and, and ceremonies that are, are custom with that. But, you know, those those rites, just like the pubescent rite, the birth mm-hmm. rite, the name giving rites, the ceremonies, the death rite with, with the journey songs. Those all are, you know, part of our life cycle and our stories and our languages contain that, mm-hmm. you know, and we got to, you know, keep that going for the kids yeah. <laughs> because if they want to tell all other kids what we're doing, then I'm cool with that. I'll tell yeah. you whatever you need to know. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think sometimes like my, my niece is 10 and she really likes stories about anything kind of, like you said, you don't like supernatural, but like shapeshifters or like werewolves like she's so into but it also slightly terrifies her at the same time but she loves it she's like i'm afraid but i'm intrigued as i'm like oh yeah the werewolves yeah they're out there then she hears like the coyotes howling and then she's like oh they're coming to get me i'm like there's something about it though you know like it's it's almost like macabre like yeah a lot of metis folks that i meet especially for my community they're kind of they're either really into it and they're really intrigued by it or just scared shitless about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to, like, tell the right 
stories about different things mm-hmm. because yeah. like there's there are things that are more scary than death, yeah. right? It's and I feel people that like have no experience with death, that kind of like natural law and like moving on kind of thing, they're really disturbed. Like they don't have anywhere to like ground that in. Like mm. they don't, but it's like stories are like really like grounding. Yeah, but it can be. And I think sometimes too, it's interesting. Like when you don't even know somebody or you've never really met their family before and you share very similar stories or like experiences i was telling uh so tanya <laughs> i was i was telling tanya we went to albuquerque together for a conference and we were just sitting around like sipping some margaritas having a good time and i was telling tanya we were talking about like ghosts and how sometimes um things can appear to you and so i was telling tanya i sometimes like I don't know if it's a dream or if it's actually happening, but I constantly have this individual that visits me when I'm sleeping and they are all red with like black eyes and they sit like right beside my bed and watch me and like stare me in the face and I wake up and there's this red person looking at me and you started to get freaked out. You're like, well, that's the devil. My <laughs> uncle sees him too. And I was like, shut <laughs> up. I was like, and then she's like, yeah, but he drives a Cadillac. And I was like, what? <laughs> Make sure you smudge. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, like, if there's ghosts around, smudge the house. Yeah. yeah. Well, o- open the door. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get really intense about ghost oh, stories. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, it's a spiritual thing for real. Like, yes. You know, growing up uh, with spirits, you know, there's a reason why you feel like something's looking at you when you're walking in the bush at night. You know, there's. Mm. There's reasons why, you know, you get the willies when you walk into cold rooms, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's reasons why we don't whistle at night or whistle at the whistle at the aurora borealis. You know, there there's reasons why we don't let the kids play out at night. There's reasons why we tie little threads around the kids' uh, arms when we go to funerals. There's, you know, reasons why you're, you know, you hear something or your favorite cup is moved just a particular way you know there's there's people we live in both worlds whether we like it or not in, mm-hmm. in a creepy perspective i guess we we live we live that and they talk to us you know they come visit us you know some people that are dead you know they're still here you know mm-hmm. the spirits are still here and once we accept that and we'll honor that you know we do that through our feasts we feed people we invite people to come eat with us and you know, we make offerings, and there's a place for that, you know, and it's good. It's good that you're getting visited by someone, because some people don't get visited by anybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. That's why I think dreams are so important. I know I talk to yeah. a lot of people, and lots of Catholics, they pray out their dreams away because they think it's this weird entity. No, mm-hmm. you can't give those away because those are messages. You can't keep them and keep yeah. them sacred to you. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. That's Dreaming's important. Yeah. Is, yeah. It's they tell you things. Mm-hmm. You know, for us here the big one is who dreamt about snakes, you know, and you know what that means though. No. Someone, someone's gonna have a baby. Oh. oh. That's interesting. Yeah. That's cool. That's yeah, so like I'll see my cousin on Facebook, she was like, 
All right, I had a dream of snakes. Who is it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Who is it? You know, so you know, those are some of the things that they, they tell us messages, you know. Mm-hmm. They tell us uh, who's going to be there, you know, who's going to. There, there's, there's many stories out like that. I don't know them all. Like I said, we're all generalists. We don't know yeah. it all. Yeah. I'm sure if we had a little get together with some gookums, you know, and you ask them about that, they would spill it. Just, yeah, a little mm-hmm. dream meaning. So it's, it's good to get together and talk about these things because mm-hmm. we could yeah. pull out a lot of good ideas. Mm-hmm. I know that we've been talking a lot about like traditional stories and ghost stories and stuff, but you mentioned gossip. Mm. And I think that's a idle. whole aspect of storytelling in itself. Uh, yeah. You know? Idle like, gossip? How do you work with that? Like, I think... Whenever our family gets <laughs> together, it's an hour of gossip and then we get into like some other stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, with, but, with, with us, uh, you know, I think Crees around here are champions of idle gossip. You know... <laughs> We say, you know, oh, gossip is the devil. Or you'll look at some meme on, on Facebook that's like an indigenous thing. Or it's like, gossip's not our way. Or traditionally, gossip is, is nothing. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Fucking everybody gossips here. It's a part of our culture. And I think saying gossip's not a part of our culture is like colonialization. Mm-hmm. Uh, gossip is a part of our culture. It depends how you, you do the gossip. And because a lot of lessons are talked about how do you conduct yourself in a way that people are going to remark about you. Right. Mm-hmm. So that really puts the responsibility on yourself. And so if people are going to gossip, it's probably because you made them gossip, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So there's yeah. some double meaning there. But for, yeah. for us, like when I was visiting uh, my, my uncle, there was radio bingo on and we all went to the the kitchen to go listen to Radio Bingo. My wife played it with my cousin. And I'm watching the hockey game with him, and I'm falling asleep on the couch and kind of coming to. And he says, he's very old. How's your uncle? So it's not gossip if you if you keep out names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, oh yeah, yeah, he's living over there. You know, he's separated now from my auntie. And, Do you know he had a kid? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the kid's like 15 now or 18. He's just listening. Yeah, he did all that. And he also gave an Indian name to the premier. That was my auntie's name. And then he gave her a headdress. I said, but other than that, he's doing okay. He's <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I don't know, I'm just so fascinated by that. Because that's a way of relating too, right? Because I, yeah. I don't see my aunties in Manitoba very often, but I hear the gossip. And it just makes me yeah, feel like I'm close to them, even though I don't see them that often. Yeah. It's a weird it's kind of It's because you care. Yeah. Right? It's just keeping you in check. And it's like the, also the community keeping you in check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. if everybody knows your business, and yeah, like you said, like you're, they're yeah. talking gossip about you for a reason. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's oh, keeping God. you in check. It's uh, not like, because I think a term that gets thrown around a lot now is like lateral violence and stuff. And that's, there's a difference between lateral violence and the community keeping you in check because yeah. you're messing up and you're messing up big time. Yeah. And like yeah. there have been times like in my life, you know, that like I was not doing well and I'm glad people talked mm-hmm. about me, you know, and then, mm-hmm. and now things are better. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think mean, there's leveling mechanisms within indigenous cultures that, yeah. you know, having stuff like that, like gossip, if it's used in a good manner because of the results of someone's action, it levels people out. You know, either brings them up or pulls them back down to reality. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's still like even if you're going through a rough time, you're creating your own story and people are perpetuating your story. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't then, know. It's... And then talking, you know, 
like you said at the very beginning, are you okay? No, I'm not. You know, yeah. well, you're obligated. You know, yes, we need to culture exactly. to to make sure that they're okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 see, yeah, oh, I want to hear all about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Tell me how bad your day was. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, those things too, from a social perspective, storytelling, or that really helps people socially yes. Yes. in our communities do well and look out for one another. But you, you only say it if it's the truth though, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Yeah. Right? yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a big part. Yeah. That's yeah. a big part of our community. You know, there's this, there's an old ceremony where, oh man, I want to tell you guys so much. <laughs> uh, there's an old ceremony where, and this is a Sioux ceremony, right? Like, this is what my mom used to say, uh, you know, Two sisters were getting into a dispute. You, know, you take a knife, you stab it in the ground, or put it on the table, and you say, "Look, if, I'm going to tell you if what I'm saying is not true, you can take this knife and stab me. If what you're saying is not true, you know, I'm going to stab you with this knife." You know, that's how you settle disputes. And one time, these two elders, we had to do that. We had to bring them in a sweat lodge, and we had to let them sort these things out because it was starting to affect our community. The chief phoned me and he was like, we got to do something. That's all I have to say about that. But those mechanisms are still done today to, to level out. Because if there is gossip and it's not true, you know, oh, that's that's a dangerous one. But if there's there's the ones that, you know, as a result of someone's actions, then that's something else. So the, those are those are some of the, 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 you know, social stuff that we use to keep our people in check. My mom, so I have a sister. And when we would bicker back and forth together, my mom would actually duct tape us together. Oh. <laughs> yeah, until we smartened up. So oh. it's kind of like, oh, it's along that same lines. I just got visions of me and my sister, like, duct tape. Like, <laughs> yeah, because you have to live with each other, right? Yeah. And, like, yeah. what good is being penalized or punished when you guys really just have to make up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, like, as a kid, when you're duct taped together, like, it's very quick that you kind of realize the situation is just hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, blood is stronger than duct tape, as they say, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a quote. Blood is stronger than duct tape. <laughs> is it stronger than the willow brand? <laughs> That's also pretty strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know that we've been chatting for a while now, and we said an hour, so we're going a little over. So I just want to ask you one more question. Sure. And this is a question that we ask pretty much every single person, is what... What advice, well actually this is a two-part question. Number one, what advice would you give to editors and publishers about how to respect Indigenous stories? And the other question would be, how would you encourage other people, other Indigenous folks to share their stories? Well, I'll answer the first part is, I was just giving it to my nieces this morning about protocol. As researchers, uh, I think Kayla, you and I could agree too, what's the purpose of your research, right? Is it just for your own gain, or are you going to give it back to the people? Especially when it comes to sensitive stuff like indigenous knowledge and, and, and con- like history. I think it's important, for, especially these kids. Like, I'm talking about, like, 18, 19-year-old kids. Like, may not understand what they're getting into, mm-hmm. but they want it. They want to get into it. And it's like, whoa. When I was 18, I, I just wanted to play drums. Like, <laughs> 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 like, that's all I wanted to do. You know, these kids just want to get into it, and they... 
they don't know why, but they gotta. And I told them, like, everything you gotta do, you gotta do with protocol. So for the kids, you know, it would be, or the researchers and publishers, it's just, if you're procuring information from Indigenous folks and you feel a connection to it, well, in person, you should be offering protocol and, and do it in person. And then the second one is, you know, if, if you feel like you need to make some type of offering because you read some script or watch some video and you feel connected to that, you don't honor that because you're not only honoring yourself, you're also honoring that spirit of that person because we're talking about spirituality, right? Yeah. And those stories have spirits, right? Those stories are alive. Those spirits live, they die, they grow. It's like mm -hmm. a flux. So you honor that because everything has a spirit. And what was the second part? How to encourage other Indigenous peoples to start writing or um, presenting their stories in whatever way that they want. Yeah, wow. I always think of artists, like when you, when you say that, or, or writers. I think the biggest part is, you know, after doing the protocol stuff, be creative. Be, be as creative as you can. You know, I, I feel for Indigenous people, like I said, we're generalists. We should be, you know, experiment with our creative side. Because I feel like when you get out into the modern world, you know, the world that we live in today, and say you're you're talking about indigenous content or trying to advocate for indigenous uh, causes whether it's through policy or art or programming or, or just having a coffee with a non-indigenous person be creative of how you're explaining it or how you're translating these thoughts into the world always remain true to the where you got them from and you do that by showing respect and giving offerings and talking giving honor to spirits of where those stories or that knowledge came from but what you do with it is you creative and how you and if you're going to express it in an artist's form or an academic form always it's like doing citation you know just make sure you honor that person because uh they took the time somewhere in their life out of their life to take it take a dive into that information and bring it out for yourself doing that it's good to to honor them and but these are my personal opinions, you know. I, you know, someone might out there might think it's contrary to what they believe, and that, that's okay too. But that, you know, that's just what I think. Those are just part of my uh, my personal opinions. Because I've lived with artists. We have artists in our family come and talk about our stories. They come and learn about our histories, and then they express it through art. You know, we have uh, we have academics in our families that have stories that they've learned from our elders in our community that express it through academic works people that come learn about policy and law they express it through the law you know there's mm -hmm. stories uh, people that learn cultural practice and express, express it through business our culture can be translated into different parts in, in this modern world and as long as you honor those people that it, it comes from then it's fine because you need to encourage creativity <laughs> one one big thing i always find is like when my nieces ask me how do you uphold treaty? Remember we talked about that? And I was thinking like, here's my chance with my, with these young malleable minds to say, well, you have to be creative. Treaty is not just a gatekeeping mechanism saying, stop, you can't do that, stop, you can't do that, because that's what a lot of people are doing today. Mm -hmm. A lot of our leaders, it's very common. Even probably in the MMA, you know, Métis rights, mm -hmm. it's, it's probably just like, stop, you can't do that, stop, you yeah. can't do that. For me, I think hopefully with the younger generation is taking these rights and being creative with them. Let's build something with them. See yeah. the section 35, they say it's an empty box. Some people hate that, some people love it, but either way, it's a room to grow and create and define and enshrine. <laughs> and we need creative people out there to create these things. Of course, up until this point, we're like, no, 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 you know? 
but today now it's like okay let's create things yeah. let's let's get that creative spark you know the, the glitter <laughs> let's, mm-hmm. let's create something yeah. magic let's let's see something be created out of this rather than just saying stop 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 that's what i think as long as we know you know those stories that t- tell us about the treaty or even the orality parts rather than the written and we honor that and create something out of it yeah that's good that's all i like to say about that all right thank you so much for your time today yeah no worries thank Thank you for the drink oh Oh, yeah you're welcome welcome. thank you everyone and we're gonna end off here and we will see you for another episode of miss nagan is quite